as Jesus and his disciples finished with their Passover celebration, what was their last Passover together, and the first of the Lord's Supper, as he amazed them all with washing their feet and telling them that one of their, of their very own would betray him, an unthinkable statement. They made their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would agonize in prayer over what he was about to endure and about to experience. He was betrayed. He was arrested, which ultimately led to his mock trial and his torture, which ultimately led to the cross. And it's there that he uttered several last statements, last words, before he died. And in these words that he uttered, we find incredible comfort. We find incredible encouragement, hope, purpose. We find on display... Uniquely in Christ, a heart of love unlike we will ever find anywhere else with any other person. And last week as we began this series and this focus, we, we looked at the first of seven last words. We won't go into all of those through this series. But the first of the last statements that he uttered was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And as we talked about that last week, I hope that you were amazed as much as I was and am every time I go back to this section of Scripture, to this time in our Lord's life as He was giving His life. And as I hear that statement and the others with it, I'm absolutely crushed in my own heart. And I hope that that's your response too. Because what we said last week was as amazing as it is to know that Jesus was asking for forgiveness from his Father for the very ones crucifying him while they were doing it, we said what should be amazing to us personally and maybe even more amazing is that we were the ones that Jesus was asking forgiveness for as well. It wasn't just the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people and the Roman soldiers that Jesus asked forgiveness for. It was you and it was me. Because we are part of them. It was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. And we are just as guilty as the ones there around the cross. And we are in just as much of a desperate need for mercy and for grace and for love and forgiveness as, as they were. Don't ever let the fact that you have been forgiven cease to amaze you. That's where we were last week. And what we're going to be looking at today is actually the fourth of seven last words of Christ on the cross. And it is no less amazing, no less incredible, no less striking than what we talked about last week. The last statement that we hear from Jesus that we look at today is found in Matthew chapter 27. 
Matthew 27, and we're going to pick up in verses 45 and 46. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 45, Matthew writes this. Now from the sixth hour, and that's noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, which is three in the afternoon. And about the ninth hour... Jesus cried out, and that's literally screamed. This was a scream of agony. It was the scream of judgment and total separation. This was the scream of abandonment. And it's the scream of one truly experiencing hell. He screamed, cried out with a loud voice, which, by the way, was an example of his supernatural power and control right here. Because people on the cross crucified didn't scream out. They didn't cry out. They could barely speak. Because the thing that actually killed the person on the cross was, above all things, suffocation. They couldn't breathe. To breathe, they had to hoist themselves up on the cross which brought searing, uncontrollable pain all throughout their body, all throughout their nerve endings, and they couldn't do that very long. So they slumped back down, and then they couldn't breathe again. So it was this constant, vicious cycle, gasping for breath, to find breath, experiencing shooting pain throughout your entire body. And so you you did this for a while until you were physically exhausted, and then you would slowly but surely suffocate. That was the agony of the cross. So the fact that Jesus, who has already been hours on the cross at this point, he's been beaten to the point of death even before the cross. He hasn't slept. He's dehydrated. Do you see the picture? Physically, humanly, that should not have been able to happen. And it shows us that though he was very man, he was also very God there on the cross. And this shows us that no one ever took Christ's life. No, as he said, he is the one who gave it. He was in control every moment. And so here in the midst of his physical suffering, in the midst of his physical agony, he cries out, he screams out in agony that goes far beyond that of the physical suffering. This was spiritual agony. We know that's the case because of what he screamed, because of what he cried out. So he cries out, he screams with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Let that, let that sit with you just for a moment. See Jesus there on the cross, the eternal, perfect Son of God. Your sacrifice, your needed atonement in mine. 
He's there at the final destination, which was his all along, from the moment he stepped into our world. The moment he came into the manger, it was all for this point, for this purpose. Now he's here. And the incarnate word screams out to his father, who he here addresses as his God. Why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt that way? Have you, ever, have you ever felt forsaken by God himself? I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. I'm sure that just about all of us have, have been at a point in our lives, at some point, where you felt like this was true for you. That God wasn't hearing you. He wasn't paying attention. He wasn't caring about you anymore. That you didn't have his love and his favor You felt abandoned. And notice I did not say you were talking about how you felt emotionally. I'm sure you've been there. And there's all sorts of reasons for feeling that way. There's all sorts of circumstances and and situations that can bring us to that point, to experiencing something like that. We certainly know, a lot of us, what it is to be Forsaken by people around us, we, many of us have felt and have experienced abandonment from those we counted on, we depended on, those we loved. And it's entirely possible that that feeling and that experience caused you to actually feel the same way toward God, that maybe it wasn't just that person or those people but maybe, maybe that's true of God himself, and maybe that's why this happened. Maybe that's why that person did this to me. Maybe that's why I'm now left all alone, because I'm left alone from God himself. I don't have anybody, not even him. Maybe it's a bad set of circumstances. Loss of a job, or loss of health, or loss of a loved one. And, and in that moment of your suffering, and in that moment of your weakness... The enemy came along like he always does when he looks for an opportune time, as he did with Jesus in the wilderness before he started out in his ministry. Finds us when we're down. and Maybe you felt and experienced and heard the whispers of the enemy like so many others have. You see? See, I told you. You couldn't completely depend on him. See, I told you. I told you there was a limit. To his faithfulness. Well, I guess never forsake just didn't apply to you. Because here you are, all alone. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've felt that. Maybe you've wondered that. Happens for people of all different backgrounds and categories that can happen to people young and old alike, this feeling of abandonment, this feeling of isolation, this feeling of being alone. And it's a scary, horrible feeling when you are made to feel that way or when something happens to cause you to feel forsaken and abandoned. Last summer we went to Disney World, my family and I, and it was, you know, it's the place that is known as the Magical Kingdom, right? Right? 
ha, 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 oh, magical kingdom. Yeah, this was our second time going, and although we had a good time, um, oh, it, it, was, uh, it was interesting, I'll just say that. And one of the most interesting parts and moments of our time in Disney, uh, around Disney, wasn't so much Disney itself uh, as it was a, a water park, a huge water park there in Orlando. And uh, we went all day long to this water park. It was, it was a good time to go because it was searingly hot. Um, we picked you know, a horrible time you'd think we'd learn. We did this the first time. We, again, went in the middle of the summer to Orlando. Uh, shame on us. But we were there and uh, in 104 degree weather, so we went to this water park, we're having a good time, and uh, one of our favorite aspects of every water park, uh, no matter where it is, is the lazy river. Why? Because we're just lazy, and we like to just float along and enjoy going at a nice slow pace, right? Uh, Well, this lazy river was uh, actually more like rapid river. And so you still got on an inner tube and you still went around, but you went around at a very fast pace. And when we got out, because we just, you know, had enough of doing the same thing over and over for several minutes. So we said, we're going to go somewhere else. And we had told the, uh, our girls to, to plan to meet us back at our chairs and we'd go somewhere else. And so Leanne and I and my dad, who was with us and Aiden, we all get out like where we're supposed to get out. And we walk to our, our chairs, and we look, and there's no Aubrey, and there's no Addie. And so I look at Leanne, I say, hey, do you, did you see where they went? She says, no. Did you? Well, that's why I asked you. No, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't see them, and my dad didn't either. And so you know, parents, what happens at that point. Your heart starts, ba-bum, and you start sweating, and it's, you know, it's not the water that you're soaked with at this point. It's, it's your own sweat from anxiety. And you start looking around, and you start kind of moving frantically, and you start searching, and you start really panicking when they don't get found within the first couple minutes. So, long story made very short, we ended up going around the entire park, and Two, about two hours later, we get a phone call, and it's from a different person that we've never heard or, or known, and, and it's kind of this broken English voice um, asking if I'm Mr. Chesley. And I, you know, again, boom, 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 boom. Yes, that's me. Do you have a daughter named Aubrey and a daughter named Addie? He said, yes, you have them? And I'm thinking it's, you know, the, the park people. And uh, so I say, okay, where are you? We'll come get them. Just let me know uh, where you are. We'll come to you. And so we did. We started making our way toward where uh, this person was supposed to be. And we didn't even get that far when all of a sudden Aubrey and Addie come running to us. And, I mean, they are, they are crying profusely. They can hardly speak. And... Uh, Aubrey had gotten on the phone before that as I was talking to this person who was just a, a random kind stranger, a mom who barely spoke English but figured out pretty quickly what was going on when they see two frantic girls, you know, crying, 
calling out for mom and dad. And so I knew that she was okay. And so I finally come and there they are and we're reunited. And the question that was coming from them over and over was, where were you? Why did you leave? And we kept trying to say, we we didn't leave you. We got out of the lazy river where we were supposed to. Where did you go? Why, Why weren't you with us? And we figured out that this lazy river, not, actually had two separate exits. One here on this part of the park and one way over there. They were on like opposite sides of the park. No signs letting you know that. No one instructing you. Hey, when you get out, make sure you get out at the right place. They all look identical. The exits look the same. And that's how we got separated. But none of that mattered. The how didn't matter. All that mattered to Aubrey and Addison and to us before we got to them was... How did this happen? How could this have happened? And in their minds, they're thinking, how in the world could mommy and daddy have left us like this? What's going on? And even though we knew we didn't abandon them on purpose, that's sure how it felt to them. That's the agony that was in their hearts at the time. And now looking back, you know, we see that it all worked out and and ultimately it wasn't that huge of a deal because of how it ended up. It could have been a lot worse. And wouldn't it be great if every circumstance worked out that way? If it all ended up that easily fixed? If the feeling of abandonment was able to go away that quickly? If feeling forsaken by those close to you and those you depend on and those you love, including God in many cases, wouldn't it be great if it were just that easy to evaporate? But we all know that's not the case, and there are, there are much more intense and serious circumstances that sometimes we find ourselves in that aren't as easily answered, that aren't as easily addressed or dissipated. When you lose a loved one and it just doesn't make sense, there's no rhyme or reason that you see to it. It seems senseless to you, and despite all of your hope and despite all of your You're praying and other people praying for that loved one. The healing you are desperately hoping happens here and now and praying for with all of your heart, it doesn't happen and you're left with just that emptiness in in your heart, in your mind, and the emptiness in your life. I certainly can relate to that. Prayed and prayed and prayed with all of my heart and all of my mind and had as much hope as I could for my mother to be healed here and now of totally unexpected diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. And for the six months that she had that, before she was taken home, we never stopped praying, we never stopped hoping. But the answer that we received was, no, I'm not going to heal her here. I'm going to heal her by bringing her home. And I'm not going to, at this point anyway, provide you with an answer for why. It was hard. That was tough. And let me tell you, I spent a long time feeling forsaken by the one that I prayed to, by the one I hoped in. And I know many of you can relate to feeling that as well. But here's the thing. None of us, no matter 
what kind of abandonment or being forsaken that we have experienced or think we've experienced, no matter how much we may feel that way and and feel like this statement is true of us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No matter how intense your experience, no matter how heavy your circumstance, none of us could ever fully understand or will ever be able to fully understand how Jesus himself felt at this moment. Because he uniquely, more than anyone else ever could feel before him or after, truly felt completely forsaken by his own father at this point. And he actually was. In this moment, in this time on the cross, as this statement is being said, as, as he's screaming this question, this profound statement, what he was experiencing was actually happening to him. And in this moment, his father really did turn away from his son. He really was left there on the cross for the first time in all of eternity, abandoned by his father. And we need to understand a little bit of why this was so devastating for Jesus. And to understand that, we have to go back to the beginning before he came, really, and before he, certainly before he went to the cross. And we have to understand a little bit about the dynamic that existed between Jesus and his Father, what was true of their relationship. And we see a glimpse of that in the beginning of John's Gospel, and in John 1, 1 through 4. John writes this, in the beginning, and that's really designating before Genesis 1, that's that's before time began, before creation, before what we know as the beginning even began. In the beginning was the Word, this is talking about Jesus, he's the eternal Word, he's the eternal expression of of all that the Father is, all the invisible attributes of God, all of His character. Jesus has always been the eternal expression and declaration of all that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's that's intimate fellowship. That's partnership. That's a relationship that goes deeper than we could ever understand. Think about the closest person in your life. Think about the deepest relationship you have. And none of us can even come close to understanding how deep the relationship between Jesus and the Father went. The Word was with God and the Word was God. That means what the Father was, so was His Son, Jesus, so was the Word. Not the same person, but the same divine nature, the same attributes. And he, the Word, was with God in the beginning. There's that same 
idea of totally intimate fellowship, partnership, relationship, intimate connection, love that goes deeper and reaches farther than we can know. Jesus said in John 17, as he, as he gave his high priestly prayer, he said, Father, please restore to me the glory I had with you before the world began. And as we are one, as we are one nature, as we are of one purpose, as we are of one relationship, may they, may my followers be one even as we are. There was a unity and a, and a fellowship that we can't even wrap our minds around. Verse 3 says, all things were created through him, through Jesus the Son, through the Word. He's the creator himself. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. So what we see here on the cross, as we've looked at Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 and 46, in this last statement of Jesus, when it says that there was darkness over all the land, this was a a darkness that you could feel. This was like pitch blackness. This was the absence of any light. And remember the time of day this was. Noon. From noon to three. That's the, the highest point of the sun. It's the brightest, hottest part of the day. And here when the light should be shining the brightest it normally is, you've got total darkness. A darkness that would actually caused people to fear because it was so ominous, so, so heavy, so deep, so thick, so unexpected, so supernatural. What's the reason for that? Well, it's because of what was true in John 1, 1 through 4 that we just read. You've got, you've got the Father sending His judgment for all of our sin and pouring out all of his wrath on sin now on his own son. And that was the cup that Jesus begged if there was a way to have removed from him that the Father would do so. If it's possible that this cup be removed, Father, please let it pass from me. It was the cup of judgment. It was the cup of wrath. Another reason for the darkness that came over the land was because the life that was the light of men was expiring. As Jesus was giving up his life, the light was going with him. It's as if all of creation said, we feel this death too, we feel this agony. All of creation said, this is not good. We can't go on. And creation itself reacted with what was happening on the cross. And the reason that the father had to turn away from his son, the reason that that happened here, the reason the son felt that separation is because of what we know about God's character. And that's that though he is love, God is absolutely love, God is perfect in love, he also perfectly hates sin. And he cannot in any way, at any point, tolerate it. He can't be in its presence. He can't let sin in his presence. He hates it with a perfect hatred, absolutely. Sin is the complete antithesis of all that he is. Everything we know that God is, sin is the complete opposite. 
And he can't allow it in his presence even for a second. And so here on the cross, on his son, he's putting all of our sin on him. And in that moment, his son who he's loved for all of eternity, the son that he, he thundered approval of early in his life, His son that he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He now turns away from and says, I can't even look at him. Habakkuk 1.13, the first part of that verse says this of God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, which we heard sung as we were observing communion, the Word of God says an amazing thing there. It says, He made Him, this is speaking of the Father and Jesus, The Father made Jesus him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is incredible. This this is Jesus who is very God, who existed from eternity past with God. God of the same nature, the same character, the same desire, and the same holy hatred for sin, who is now becoming sin before his Father. And because of that, the Father had to turn away. He had to forsake. He had to abandon the Son that he has loved for all of eternity. What that means for all of us here, please, please hear this. Listen, what this means, what we see taking place on the cross, is we see that Jesus accepted being forsaken by his Father so that we wouldn't have to be. Jesus accepted, took, received, being forsaken by his Father, that he had enjoyed perfect harmony and fellowship and relationship and love and mutual glory and and dignity with for eternity past up to this point. How long was that? We don't know. Eons and eons and eons of time. He had never once been without that communion with his Father. And here on the cross... He's taking it willingly. He's being forsaken and rejected and abandoned by His Father all so that we would never have to know and experience that. All so that we would never have to be rejected. That's what we all deserved and do deserve. We deserve to be forsaken by a perfectly holy God because we are completely opposite of that in ourselves, in our nature. It's not that God ever did the abandoning. It's not that God ever was the one that did the forsaking. From the garden 
on. We, His creation, we are the ones that did the abandoning. We are the ones that chose to forsake Him. And yet every time, from the garden on, He has pursued us. And here, on the cross... is the fulfillment of all the promises leading up to the cross. One day, I will make it possible. One day, I will make it absolute reality that you never will have to know or experience what it is to be forsaken by me. I will always have to forsake sin. I will always have to turn my back on that which is sinful, the Father has said all throughout history, all throughout His Word. He's made that clear. I cannot tolerate sin and I won't. I can't be in His presence and it cannot be in my presence. But one day I will make provision so that people who accept that provision will never have to fear being forsaken by me. And here on the cross is the final fulfillment of all those promises. Here on the cross, the Father saw Jesus as sin and turned away from Him instead of us. So that through Jesus, we, you, me, all of us that come to Him could be and would be seen as righteous and could be accepted and loved by the Father forever. Because that's what's required. Righteousness, perfection, that's what is required to know God personally, intimately, forever. That's what's required to be with Him and for Him to be with us forever. But we couldn't reach that on our own. That's a standard that's far too high for anyone to to be able to achieve, no matter what they tried to do. That's why Jesus had to do that for us. And because of that, because He did that, we can have the exact same confidence in our relationship with God and our standing with Him as the Apostle Paul expressed in Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. Listen to this incredible, incredible statement from Paul. This is our hope. This is the beautiful promise that all who are in Christ have and can know and experience. We can say with Paul, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing means nothing. No matter what you might be facing, no matter what you have experienced or might be experiencing today that causes you to think, well, I don't know, maybe I can't completely rely on the faithfulness of God. Maybe never forsake doesn't apply to me. Friends, reject that. Reject that for the lie of the enemy that it is. Because never means never for all who are in Christ. And the reason you can claim the promise of the faithfulness of God in and over your life, the reason you never have to fear being forsaken by Him, is not because anything you do or I do, anything we possess in and of ourselves, it's because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross when He was forsaken instead of us by the Father. That's your confidence. 
Your confidence and mine comes from the cross. It's anchored to the cross. It's tied to the fact that what needed to happen, God's abandonment and judgment on the sinner, happened in the sinner's place. That's where we get our confidence from. And the only fitting, appropriate response to that, to knowing all that happened for us, the only response that should be part of our lives is to love and live for Him. When we, when we realize all that was done for us and we realize that Jesus endured being forsaken by His own Father, the only fitting response is that we love and live for Him. And that means, that means we forsake sin and self knowing that he was forsaken because of our sin. It means we forsake anything that comes between us and him in our relationship with him. It means we have to turn away from anything that tries to turn our hearts away from being totally satisfied in him and fully devoted to him. What would you do those of you who have children, parents, and grandparents, those of you who have a special someone in your life, husband, a wife, those of you who have a strong, reliable friend, a best friend, what would you do if something or someone came against the one or the people that you love the most and caused them pain, caused them hurt, and caused them Damage caused their life to be forever altered. It's not much you wouldn't do. Against that source of pain for them, if you were able to. And there's certainly nothing you wouldn't do to, to protect them from that thing or that person. And you would do all you could to make sure they never went back to that. Or, or you never went to that person or, or that place that caused such devastation to the, to the one that you love. Well, church, we need to take the same approach to sin. Because it was our sin that caused our Savior the unthinkable agony that He endured on the cross. It was our sin that caused the Savior to experience what it was to be forsaken by the Father, abandoned from Him. It was what caused our Savior to truly experience our hell so that we would never have to. Why then? Why then would we return to sin over and over and over? Why then would we ever give our heart over to sin again? knowing what it did to our Savior, who we say we love. It needs to be in our mind. It needs to be the way we look at it. That needs to be our heartbeat. He was forsaken so that we would never have to be. Let's pray. We have... Worship through song. We have worshiped through remembering what our Savior did for us at the table today. We've had communion together and been reminded of what makes communion possible. And here in just a minute, we're going to worship through giving.
It's another physical expression of what is true of our, our hearts and our minds spiritually. And as, as we give financially and as the bread and the cup were given to you as the, as the deacons passed among you, as you've given of your time this morning to be here and worship, I just want to encourage you to think back to what was given for you at the cross. What Jesus gave up to give you everything that you need. It's all about giving. It always has been. My question to you is, what have you given to God? Have you given Him your faith and your trust? Have you given Him your surrender of your life? Asking Him to fill you with Himself and to be all that that you need, all that He is, the only Savior that you could hope for? If you've done that, have you given Him your true and total heart? Does He have your full devotion? Or are you still trying to segment your life and giving Him part but not all? It's a question only you can answer. And to change that is something that only the Holy Spirit can do, which we have through our relationship with Christ. I just want to encourage you to think about these things as we wrap up our time together this morning with another expression of giving. Join with me in prayer as we do that. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the reminders we've seen today throughout our time, the reminders of your grace and your mercy and your love, the reminders of sacrifice from your Son that we can't ever wrap our minds fully around. We'll never understand fully what it is to be totally forsaken. And the reason we'll never be able to fully understand that, those that are in Christ, is because He endured that in our place. Because your Son received and accepted being forsaken by you when that should have fallen on us. And through Him we'll never have to know what that's like. Thank you. Thank you. With all of our hearts, we thank you. And now, Father, we we seek to tangibly, physically express our our acknowledgement of your blessing. We, We seek to tangibly express that all we have is from you, that you are the great giver. And we seek to worship you in spirit and truth as we have already today by pausing and giving of the resources you've given us. And so as we, we give financially, we pray that you would fill our hearts with a joy and a gladness and a gratitude that we've been able to give. And we also ask that you would take and bless and use all that is given as you see fit in accordance with your perfect will and plan. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.